Welcome to the Mike Litton Experience Podcast. Mike has over 31 years experience in real estate, finance, and investing. He's passionate about being a father, a teacher, a realtor, an investor, and a leader. Everyone has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And now, introducing the host of the Mike Litton Experience, Mike Litton. So what can you expect from the Mike Litton Experience? You can expect stories that will inspire, motivate, advice that will sharpen your focus, and expert information on real estate, finance, and market conditions. James Darnborough, thank you so much for being our guest on the Mike Litton Experience. I cannot thank you enough. I'm literally interviewing the Renaissance man, and I'm so excited to have you on, and I'm so excited for our time together. Thank you again for being here. Oh, thanks, Mike. It's a real pleasure to join you today. So like we talked about before we hit record, everybody has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And what we know is people that listen to your story there are unique things about your story that they'll connect with, similarities that they've had through their lives, and it'll inspire and motivate them to go out and do things that they've been putting off, and that's exactly what we're all about. So with your permission, we're going to start with where you were born, and we'll go all the way up to today, and then we can talk about anything that you want to talk about today that you're working on. It's probably 19 different projects, so <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there, okay? Okay, sounds great. All right, buddy. So where were you born? I was born in London, in England, on a very rainy Saturday morning. There you go. Um, it's rainy here. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> almost almost immediately, I knew I wanted to live somewhere warmer. Yeah. Now, I grew up in the UK. I'm, I'm a product of a British boarding school, which means I don't understand how to describe emotions. Right. And um, But, I, you know, I typical English lad, played rugby at school, and... Um, and and I had I had a really fun time. I was in the army cadets from age fourteen, so I learned how to drive a tank before I could drive a car, and jumped out of a plane when I was sixteen. And I, I was I was really lucky, you know. I'm an only child, which meant that I could just run off into the woods and hide and build camps, and no one would really mind. <laughs> I, love I love it. So in high school, did you have a favorite subject? Probably english literature yeah and i i loved acting yeah. and you know in the uk obviously we learn about shakespeare and milton and oh the classic classic literature that so the curriculum hasn't really changed in 200 years yeah. but, but but i was quite happy with that I think I was I was never really good at maths. I was never really that excited about science, but I loved history and literature. I think you alluded to this already, but what was your favorite thing about growing up where you grew up in London? Well, I so I was my parents lived in London, but I was kind of in the country from about 7 years old. Okay. Uh London itself was a really exciting place. I mean, I'm going back quite a while now so right. you know, late 70s right when the, the rolling stones when punk on the king's road and right. that it was it was you know the people who were a generation behind us thought we were absolute um terrorists the way <laughs> they behaved and dressed and the music that we listened to and everything else because they were from the sort of frank sinatra 
age and you know we were into the clash and the jam and uh, david bowie and, love and music, yeah. all that so music funny enough music kind of defined the age didn't it so that that played a big part in my life now that i think about cool. it that's cool man i love all that music so yeah. still do today um so so after high school where do you go well, a lot of my friends were going to university and they didn't really seem, as far as I was concerned, to have a lot of purpose. So I have a friend who studied zoology and he has no idea why he did it. He went to this university because he was a good rower. <laughs> and I was literally sitting in the pub with a friend one day and I said, you know, we need to go and live somewhere hot. What are, what are we going to do? Let's get out of here. And... So I came up with a plan to produce a magazine for the South African Professional Golfers Association. So I'm 19 years old. And we went down there to Johannesburg and I said, right, I'll meet you a magazine. It'll look like Vogue, but we'll have Ernie Els on the front or some wonderful golfer like that. And we'll send it free to all your members. And they said, well, that's just amazing. How much will it cost us? Nothing. But I get to keep all the advertising revenue. Right. And we get to call it the official PGA magazine of South Africa. And so we did that. And it was a hit because this was the days before the Internet. Right. And so everybody used to read magazines then. That was the, how you consumed information and learned about, you know, in, in this case, how to become a better golfer and, you know, aspire to go to all these exotic places. There was a lot of travel and stuff like that involved. And then we just carried on going. We ended up. This was really the highlight. So I lived in South Africa for seven years and I saw Mandela being released and the end of apartheid. It was the most exciting time to be there. Yeah. The Rugby World Cup, and I'm sure a lot of you, a lot of your listeners will know the film Invictus, mm -hmm. which is where Mandela, South Africa won the Rugby World Cup at home. I mean, it was just extraordinary. Two billion people were watching it and I was in the stadium and I'd done a magazine for the Rugby World Cup in order that I could get invited to all the VIP things in all the different venues and cities. But that moment when he handed the World Cup to Francois Pinard, the captain, that's when we knew South Africa really had changed and become the rainbow nation because they were dancing in the streets. We had no idea so many people were watching it. Two billion people watched it. There can't have been that many televisions in the world. Yeah. So, well, it just, I mean, that was such an amazing time, like you said. That entire political system got turned on its head. And right. to be there and be a part of that is just, that's just got to be something that you cherish for the rest of your life. I know. And, you know, just by luck, I mean, you know, right place, right time. Yeah. And, and I think showing up, I mean, that's, that's something I was taught very early on is, you know, you've got to show up to these things or they'll just pass you by. But it was an amazing time because the Soviet Union collapsed. Um, it was the first Gulf War, obviously, and Berlin Wall came down and, and Mandela was released. And it was, it, was an, it was an amazing thing to witness. It was like an awakening. It was just incredible. Yeah, yeah. And it's a beautiful country with beautiful people. And so I was, I was very happy to be there. But I have some friends from after South that. Africa. After that, though, it was time. It was time to move on. I felt like, okay, I, 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 it's not going to get better than this. <laughs> What's next? <laughs> We've been here, right? <laughs> so I've got some friends from South Africa. They're amazing, and I'm a huge Ernie Els fan. So is my wife. Oh, right. So um, yeah, that's awesome, man. So you, so after South Africa, where do you go? Well, I went back to England, okay. and. 
I hated it. You know, I was going to work on the underground every day and, you know, summer passed by very quickly as it does. And I did, um, I did super screens, which, which were like rear projection, giant um, screens with a, a squillion pixels. Mm -hmm. And you, it was the first time that you could see the screen outside. So, for example, there was one at the Melbourne Grand Prix at Formula One. So it doesn't matter if it's raining or direct sunlight on the screen. So I put, I put four of those up in Piccadilly Circus in London, in the old Tower Records building, mm. um, Tower Records, and uh, Lily White. And then I did one in France, and then some at the Olympic Village in Sydney. Mm -hmm. And I flew all the way to Sydney for two days. From London, I know, isn't that crazy? I, I went back a few years later, but to meet the Olympic Committee, and you know that 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 was fun. But I just really, I just really wasn't happy because I was in London, and you know, I I know everybody wants to go to London. The difference between visiting London and living and working there is is dramatic. Like probably most cities, you yeah, know, become quite a grind after a while. And I and I and I realised that you know I really wanted to get a note from the doctor saying. This guy can only live in sunny, warm places. For <laughs> well, it had to have been, aside from the change in weather, it had to have been a real change in pace because, you know, South Africa doesn't move as fast as London does. And there's very few places in the world that move that quickly, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, South Africa, they just invented the fax machine. Yeah. And, you know, in London, suddenly it was the internet revolution, the digital revolution, completely. Yeah. Everything changed. We didn't have iPhones quite, but we had mobile phones or cell phones. But yeah, the, and, and that's when, you're right, everything picked up pace very, very rapidly. And uh, it was, again, I mean, it was a pretty exciting time. But uh, nevertheless, it was, it was just this this sort of, uh, the Germans call it wanderlust, where, you know, you have this inability to stay in one place for any yeah. considerable amount of time. Yeah. And so the next, the next place on my journey was back to Australia. Oh wow! Okay, so yeah. so why Australia? Oh, uh, because it's hot and sunny. <laughs> there you go. That works. Yeah, so I went to Sydney. So this is the second time I've immigrated. I went to Sydney for three right. months, and I thought, what's the point of moving all the way to Australia just to live in a city? Right. I mean, this is this is a place that's as big as the USA. Yeah. And but um, so I went to Western Australia. Okay. And this is a state that is so that's like moving from new york to la just to give you an idea of the size yeah. but the state of western australia you can fit the whole of europe inside it and there's only 1.2 million people live there and they practically all know each other so that was extraordinary because i mean talk about being far away from everything it's the most remote city in the world is right. Perth in western australia um bali is closer than sydney but you know, you drive north from Perth, you can drive a thousand miles north and see some trucks. But then they have um, a place called Coral Bay, which is like the um, Great Barrier Reef, but without the tourists. And there's no buildings there. You've got to camp and you swim with reef sharks and turtles and manta rays. And I know it's it's, it's absolutely amazing. And they're very serious about protecting it. That whole coastline 
is marine protectorate, which means you're not allowed to water ski, you can't even scuba dive for a thousand miles. Wow. So it's pristine and just untouched and unspoiled. And I hope it stays that way. The Australians are really, they're really good about that. You know, Australians and Californians are really serious about protecting the environment. <laughs> and it's it's wonderful to to see it. Yeah. So I stayed there for what four years, and then I and I stayed in the media business, but not in publishing. I got into recruitment, so right. I was recruiting senior media people, and so trying to convince people to move from Sydney with their families and their kids and completely relocate to Perth, which change of pace. Exactly at the time, it wasn't exactly a bustling centre of commerce, right? But I think that's what people craved. They yeah. wanted a different pace of life. Yeah. You know, to slow down and play golf on Wednesday afternoon and no one cares and, and go surfing and all that. Yeah. That was that Always was like, yeah. 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 Right. And so I'm after really Australia. Thinking, so after Australia, where do you go? I'm sorry? After Australia, where do you go? Oh, after Australia. Um back to London for a bit. Uh then I went to Cape Town, South Africa for a bit, and I was gonna do a digital magazine for the rugby in South Africa. And uh, then what happened is um, I I decided to look up an old girlfriend and I, I feel quite bad about this because I practically stalked her on LinkedIn. Oh. And we had we hadn't we hadn't seen each other since we were kids. We were teenagers and I found her on LinkedIn and she's she's American, but she she's from L.A., yeah. she grew up in london so she's american but with a british accent anyway yeah. um so i i messaged her and i said i'm in london um would you like to meet for lunch and she said no and i okay well i'm i'm not going to give up <laughs> i'm not giving up that easily and she said i'm happy i've just written a book i'm going to be famous i've got a really nice apartment in chelsea and leave me alone and anyway we went for lunch <laughs> And a year and a half later, we got married and moved to Los Angeles. So. Oh, good for you, man. That's awesome. So that's what brought you to California, to the US. Oh, yeah, completely. I'd love to take the credit and say that was the most intelligent decision I've made in my life. Because I feel this is about 10, 11 years ago. Yeah. I feel like I graduated to California. Um, but it was it was because of her and her family connections and everything that I got here. And, in, and that I got to stay here because, you know, immigrating to the States is is pretty hard i mean south africa is easy australia is really hard unless you're a policeman or a teacher or a hairdresser that's what they need <laughs> but california getting to the states even though i'm quarter american my grandfather was american okay but, uh, the immigration don't care about things like that yeah oh, i got you so you come to california yeah and it sounds so you you did some charity work there was a there was a wildfire you did some charity work uh, montecito area yeah uh, i saw that um talk a little bit about that talk a little bit about what it was like when you got here um getting involved in events is the best thing to do because not everyone can you know join all the clubs and stuff so i you know, I, 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 I don't know. I thought, well, first of all, of course, I wanted to publish more magazines. And right. my wife forbade me eventually. She said, that's, that's ridiculous. People don't read magazines anymore. Just stop it. Right. So um, I went and 
got uh i wanted to get into property like you so I, yeah. I went and got my real estate license and i worked for coldwell banker in montecito because i thought that's you know i'm going to sell houses to ellen DeGeneres and oprah winfrey of course i am there you go and you do this day, <laughs> right you're still with coldwell banker i'm still yeah i'm still a licensed realtor it's very yeah. useful actually it's very very useful i don't practice day to day as i did yeah. but it's incredibly useful because now i have i have no fear yeah. and there's the confidence that you get from actually having um you know being licensed mm. and doing the knowledge and redoing the exams and i mean we my gosh we have to learn about cybersecurity and wire fraud and all kinds of legal things now it's not just about isn't this a nice house right anyway um so yeah i, I got involved in all kinds of things i did an event at the granada theater in santa barbara for a thousand people and it was about women in the environment mm. and so here's this foreigner guy organizing uh i think i had 75 panelists 12 moderators and because i realized that all the great environmental non-profits were actually run by women yeah. and at least the good ones because they're really good at raising money and they're really good at understanding what should be top of the list of priorities like water management mm -hmm. is a big one marine conservation you know Jack Gusteau's granddaughter runs the marine conservation thing up in Santa Barbara and all these amazing people. So I got them all together. And the idea was I wanted to get them to work together to collaborate sure. because, you know, you, a place like Santa Barbara, it's full of nonprofits. They have the world record for nonprofits, but not enough of them work together. Right. So they need to pool their resources and, you know, they, they all fundraise from the same people when they could just work together. And so we gave them incentive to do that. And it was pretty successful. That's and, and that's how you meet people. Absolutely. You know, doing things like that. And uh, I met a ton of people and joined um, Toastmasters, which is all about public speaking. And I loved Toastmasters. And I ran five clubs there. And, oh, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, Santa Barbara is just one of those incredible places where people do tend to know each other more so than if you're in a big city. You know how they say you can be really lonely in a big city, especially if you just arrived. Well, I, I was lucky enough to be in Santa Barbara. I wasn't supposed to be there. We uh, we went up. We thought we'd stay for maybe two months, and we stayed for seven years. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing how that works. I, I can know. Santa Barbara for the rest of my life. Yeah. I absolutely love it there. It's one of my favorite places on the planet. Yeah. So it's really I can understand. I totally well, you know, I mean, every day I'd look up at the mountains and the ocean and just think, how, how did I get here? Yeah. How did this how did this happen? And I still do. I can't yeah. believe it. You know, now I, I drive around Hollywood and think this is just ridiculous. How did I get here? I, all of, the only people who live here are Hollywood um, stars and directors. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I feel like an imposter sometimes, but yeah. it's it's wonderful to be in California. I'm very, very grateful. Very lucky. So I have a quick question on a selfish note. Have you ever been to the Sacred Garden? Um, I don't think so. That's okay. It's just south of, of Santa Barbara. I forget the name of it. It's Summerhill, I think, is the... Oh, Summerland. Summerland. So oh, the sea. Yes, I have. I know exactly the Sacred Garden. It's in Summerland. It is so the cool. The and yes. the, guy who, the guy who owns it is so connected. I, I'm sure you got you know each other. Um, he's so connected in Santa Barbara and in, and in entertainment and the whole thing. I mean, there's, you know, photos of all kinds of famous people around the, the store and that kind of thing. And yeah. I just, it's one of my favorite places on the planet. So that's the only reason I was asking. 
I know. Well, it's wonderful, isn't it? Because it's just on the corner there. It looks very yeah. nondescript. You know, yeah. it looks like there's there's you know maybe a, a husband and wife who are thrown thrown over from the seventies who are yeah. inside there selling trinkets and candles, and you go yeah. in. And yeah, then you, exactly. you carry on going, and there's this magnificent garden, and it's kind of it's kind of Japanese, Japanese yeah. Californian, the garden, and yeah, it's that's really funny. I love that. I love Summerland actually. It's Summerland is like little, you know, a lot of Australian little tiny little towns, yeah. you know, with one road going through it, and all the shops are run by um, people. It's their own, you know, little artists, their own shops. They they make stuff. And it's stuff. just charming as all get out. And it's just the yeah. coolest place. It's got the best vibe. Yeah. Right. And I, I walked in there and I'm not, I'm not into that stuff typically. Right. But I walked <laughs> in there and I got a feeling that I've never been able to replicate. Like I, and it's, I guess it's Zen. I don't, I don't know exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just the feeling in the atmosphere there is, is just amazing. And yeah. so I've been back a couple of times um, oh. since the first time and um I, every time we go back to that area i i have to go there so it's, yeah. it's really cool really cool yeah. anyway so um so you're so you move so you move from santa barbara to los Angeles to l to hollywood yeah um during covid yeah i mean everyone has this sort of pre-post covid story at the moment yeah. and it feels like time stood still we were in Santa Barbara for a bit and we, you know, it was great fun, you know, taking care of our neighbours who are quite elderly. So we would bring them food and, and, and of course, to the obligatory toilet paper. Everyone's got a toilet paper story. <laughs> they like collaborating, right? <laughs> right, exactly. So, I mean, but that was nice. It was nice to be able to be useful rather than just, you know, curling up in a ball. And then the funniest thing happened. So I got an email from a guy in England who's American, mm -hmm. and he was researching US Air Force bases in Southern England during the Second World War. Mm -hmm. And my father was a film producer, and he'd made a film in 1952 called Highly Dangerous. And so this guy was asking me, my father passed away a long time ago, and he was asking me if I knew anything else about the location, right. because it was what's now RAF Northolt. And I said, I'm really sorry. I don't know anything more because, you know, what you've got on the Internet is all I've got as well. And um, and then anyway, then we got to we got to know each other. And we exchanged a couple of emails and it was all very nice. And then one day an email arrived and it goes, I, it was a very English way that he said this. I hope you don't mind. I Googled you. And <laughs> I thought he's been in England quite a long time to, to phrase it like that. And he said, listen, I found out who your grandfather was, the American roulette player. And he's the man who broke the Bank of Monte Carlo. Oh. Now, here's, here's what you should do. You live in L.A., so you must know all the film people, right? And I'm thinking, absolutely, I've got Chris Nolan on speed dial. Right. And uh, I don't know any film people, really. And for that, <laughs> to, to be honest with you, I try and avoid the entertainment gang as much as possible. <laughs> but um, anyway, he said, write a screenplay, it'll be a blockbuster. It's got to be a film. And so I thought about that. And so my turn to Google, how do you write a screenplay? And, right. and then, um, actually, my wife said to me, no, 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 you're not getting away with it that easy. <laughs> a, a screenplay is only 90 pages. You need to write the whole book. Oh. So this is the, so I have. Yeah. And it's, it's out on the 12th of February. And it's called The Gambler's Game. And it's the story of this uh, farm boy from southern Illinois Mm -hmm. who in 
1887 gets signed by Denver as the youngest pitcher for their baseball team. They were called the Denver Grizzlies. Wow. He instantly, he, he became quite famous. Um, and that was how he, he, that was how he discovered travel because of the railways right. and he traveled with the baseball team. And the, I mean, these guys were tough. This, I mean, they had no money. They had to rent their own uniforms and the train journeys were endless, like 35 hours from Denver to Kansas. Wow. And they paid for three days and he was the pitcher, which, and they didn't rotate in those days. So it was him in the pitcher's box. It wasn't called a mound until 1893. I, I got corrected on that very early on. Um, <laughs> was, gosh, everyone knows, everyone knows a lot about baseball except me. And now I do. But, <laughs> imagine pitching for three days solid in the sun or the, or the, or in the freezing cold. And anyway, so he then got into roulette and uh, it's, it's an extraordinary adventure. And I didn't want to write a biography because even though there's a lot of facts out there, I mean, I've got 150 newspaper clips from around the place, but I wanted to make it an adventure. I just wanted to, you to go on the adventure with him because this is, this is, you know, like 1900 in the USA was the most exciting time in the history of the planet as far as I'm concerned. Can you imagine that you've got electricity in your home and then a telephone, then a motor car, and then there's airplanes flying around. And it was just a time when anything was possible. Yeah. And so he, he was a roulette player and a pretty good one and ended up in Monte Carlo and he stayed there for eight years. Wow. And he's the, as far as we know, he's the only American to break the Bank of Monte Carlo. Um, wow. Anyway, then he, he met my I know, I know. I mean, I mean, it's just an extraordinary story and one that I kind of always wanted to know more about. Yeah. But I never imagined I'd write a whole book. It took me three years. We went to five countries, interviewed so many people. We, I mean, I was, I was sitting in a basement of a guy who lives outside of Boulder, Colorado, and he was telling me about what it was like to play baseball in the 1890s. Yeah. And then there's a picture on his wall that I see, and it's, and it's him and Ken Burns. And I said, oh, you know Ken Burns? And he goes, oh, yeah, I was the advisor on his baseball documentary. Wow. I know. <laughs> wow. And this guy doesn't use the internet, doesn't have email, doesn't even have an iPhone. What a small and world. I know, but you just, you know, you, as you, as, but you, you, if you physically go to these places, then yeah. you meet people who say, by the way, you need to meet with this guy. Yeah. And it kind of, it goes on from there. So, I mean, I have my own adventure, really, you know, putting this whole thing together. That so, is so cool. So, three, yeah. three and a half years? Yeah, three well be three years in March. Yeah. And because it's because I wanted to get it right. Yeah. So so um for example, Eugene Madden ran Madden's uh, saloon in oh Denver. And uh, his brother was the chief of police. His brother in law was the chief of police. Um so basically the Irish ran that town. But one of his barmen was called Michael Flattery from Kilkenny, and I've uh, in eighteen eighty uh, no, 1894, and I've got his photograph. Oh, 
and and Eugene Madden ran the uh, the Irish Land League, and so he was in the St Patrick's Day parade. And I've got and I know exactly who was in the parade, and so it's been wonderful to you know to write awesome. that down and, and create this adventure. And they all had the most magnificent moustaches, and uh, you know, and he bumps into Adolf Kors, you know, and Kors says, "What do you think about beer and baseball?" And it's, oh, I don't know. <laughs> wow. the rest is history what an amazing time <laughs> yeah. that is incredible yeah. so it's not a biography no it's it, it could have been but yeah. that's to me and biographies are great if they're written well yeah but that's just a series of facts strung together and i don't i don't think i'm good enough to do that i'm i'm good at telling stories right and so I wanted to make this, I wanted you to go on the journey with him. So you you will learn, you know, baseball, what it's like to travel around the Wild West. Because he goes around the, the Old West with his own roulette wheel. So he'll just turn up at a saloon and he'll say, I notice you don't have a roulette wheel here, but you just play poker. I'll put a roulette wheel in the back and we'll give you a cut of the takings. And so who would say no to that? Right. So he he did that for years and years, and and in Mexico City and in Texas and Arizona and all over the the Midwest, and then uh, he eventually played. He played a lot in New York. New York was amazing because all the casinos were illegal. Well, sort of illegal. <laughs> <laughs> and that and that's fun. That's fun looking at looking at these you know these very innocent looking buildings and and knowing really what was going on underneath yeah. in rooms and basements and all kinds of crazy stuff yeah yeah I know and this is you see this is before prohibition and the depression and everything so everyone it was really a really a high high time and yeah. an amazing amazing time and then the roaring twenties all that I mean that was yeah it was so... well it was before that yeah and um, but. Uh, as uh, everything fashion changed completely you know from these very dated dated sort of you know bustle dresses that all the ladies had to put on the corsets and the rest of it all that changed yeah. and everything changed and you know you get a bit of a sense of this from from Downton Abbey and the Gilded Age and things like that in fact my grandfather was in Downton Abbey they wow in the film <laughs> they just bought they brought out a film two years ago and um they they what happens is a film crew comes to downton abbey uh to make a film you know it's an old it's a silent movie sure. and the character it's called the gambler yeah and um the character name the, the character's name is bill who is my grandfather bill darnborough and the lady who's trying to convince him to stop gambling is called Miss Erskine, who is my grandmother. Wow. So Julian Fellows, who who created Downton Abbey, has used my grandparents as actual characters. And uh, I've had some very funny conversations about that with people close to him who say, no, he, he really does that. He You know, he takes people, real people, and, and develops them into characters. Wow. Um, that that was quite. I didn't know that was going to happen, so that was quite funny. I got a phone call from my neighbour who said, "You, I think you should see this film." That's incredible. <laughs> that is incredible. So, is that similar to what you did with the book? So, you took you took characters and you or people, and you actually turned them into characters. Yeah. Well, I've got 173 people in this book, and they're nearly all real people. Okay. Real people. So, okay. you know, Camille Blanc, who ran the Casino Monte Carlo, absolutely real. Everything he did. Uh, all real, all these characters like the guy I mentioned, 
Like the guy I mentioned in Denver, Eugene Madden, all these people are real. Uh, Richard Canfield, who ran all the illegal casinos in New York, real person. But if it had been a biography, you wouldn't hear what he's got to say for himself. Right. And so I, I want the baseball players to be talking to each other, you know, complaining, uh, right. celebrating, uh, right. getting drunk. You know, this this is what I wanted to do was to have um, make it as exciting as possible. So instead of reporting facts, what you're doing yeah. is taking the reader on a ride. Yeah, well, I had so I have the facts, so I have the the chronological order of where things happen because everything's in newspapers, and you can get newspaper archives from any newspaper that's ever been printed. Practically, you can get on your laptop now instantly. It's just amazing that the people who who scan these newspapers, and there are filters that you can use, and I, I can look up things from the Buffalo Courier in 1894 and filter it down to Bill Darmer's name, and then find out that because a casino owed him money um there was this this massive investigation and the, then the police got involved but not as you think the police got investigated and right. then they in the governor of new york it was called the darnborough case so they named this case after my grandfather and eventually they closed down all the casinos in buffalo because of the debt that he was owed on roulette Unbelievable. <laughs> I know, and I found that completely by chance. But and that's got, the blood that's flowing through your veins. Oh, God. We've got a lot of stuff, though, that we kept. Um, that, so luckily, my grandmother was really good at filing things. And so we've got a lot of photographs and letters and stuff. We've got uh, a letter from Sahiram Maxim, who was the inventor of the machine gun. And he was he's an engineer, and he's really into probability and used to spend a lot of time in, in um, Monte Carlo. Mm -hmm. trying to work out roulette trying to work out the system because it just annoys him because mm -hmm. it's so random and the, the you know the, the gambler's fallacy and things like that there isn't a system to roulette there isn't no matter what people say and he wrote a whole book about this called um facts and fallacies in monte carlo and it's just full of numbers um trying to work out probability anyway he wrote this letter to my grandfather asking him he basically he outlined exactly what his winnings had been over the last few weeks and and how he'd played and he said would you care to share with me you, you know some more information about your system and this is from the guy who invented the machine gun wow. and i've got the letter and it, it's hilarious i don't know if he replied i very much doubt it <laughs> because if you know if he if he really had some incredible you know very basic simple system that you can just pass on from word to word we'd be having this conversation on my yacht right <laughs> <laughs> isn't that true <laughs> i love that man so let me ask you this so the so the book's coming out next month yeah, well, this, or actually, this, month, this month, this, this month, month, yeah, yeah we've got yeah, um, 12 days. It's very so you can get it on pre-order Amazon now. Okay, game. And we, well, I'm so pleased that it's it's not only print and uh, Kindle, but we've found the most amazing guy to do the audio. Oh, because this is really difficult because it's so that the book is I read it in American English, mm -hmm. which um, is sometimes a little bit harder than you might imagine because right. like in England, they say towards right in the US, you say toward. Right. And so it's tiny little details like that, that I had, I wanted to get right. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the main character is American, obviously. So he speaks with an American accent, but then all the people he meets 
So there's there's a lot of French, obviously Monegasque. There's um, Spanish-speaking Mexicans. There's uh, Scottish people. There's um, wow, the all oh some Italians. There's an Italian banker who lives in Monaco, and he's got a really weird accent. He sounds like Inspector Clouseau from the Pink Panther. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we found this guy, Kevin Clay is his name. We found him in Arkansas and yeah. he could do all of that. Oh, and it's very rare that you find because people can do accents. Yeah. You can do there's a lot of Russian in this as well. There are big Rus the Russian Dukes who played roulette in Monte Carlo. You can do an accent, but then to have people with different accents talking to each other yeah. and dialogue is really, really tricky. Yeah. And we were so lucky to find um kevin clay to do this you know that you know there was an actor's strike the screen yeah. it was because of that that he was available so i'm very grateful for the strike. Well, actors and writers right i mean actors was, and writers yeah 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 and they've now settled it right so that's yeah oh yes that's it's been completely settled yeah I know. Back to work. You know, aren't i lucky that i didn't agree to write the screenplay because that's what i could have ended up doing and then i'd be on right. strike after covid been, as well yeah, you I could mean, have been stuck terrible it's covid and then a strike and you know and i live in la and it's amazing because you just see a lot of less cars on the street it was really obvious that you know, everyone was affected yeah but, it's a ripple effect right a whole yeah. bunch of people that are working and active and all that and, and filming and all that and then all of a sudden that's taken away yeah almost like a ghost town right it's just it's that you see the effects of it yeah, uh, and it affects everything. It affects other other businesses that rely on those on those crews and rely on what they what they need and what they provide and that kind of thing. So, oh, yeah, that's it. That, completely. You know, yeah. I mean, you you know, you could be what you know a, a cable guy or a carpenter or uh, makeup or you name it, wardrobe. All these people were affected, and of course that effect. You're right. There's the ripple effect. It, yeah. it was it was extraordinary. I you know I hope everyone gets what they want. From it. Yeah, me too. So let me ask you this. So Gambler's Game is available in 12 days on Amazon. Mm. You can pre-order it now, correct? Yes. yes. Okay. And it's also available on audiobook. Yeah. That's awesome. That is I know. They, they are the, it sounds like an adventure. It sounds like a ride that everybody should go on. Well, I hope so. I think it's an extraordinary story. Yeah. I'm very, very pleased to have actually done it you know because these are the kind of things that you can you can think about and procrastinate yeah. for years and years and years and think well i haven't really got enough information and of course it's the first step yeah so it's actually starting yeah and keep going and keep going and keep going because the, you know i mean i started uh writing this i was doing five hours a night every night and you know and I just kept going. I just mm -hmm. kept going. And because there's a lot of things in my life I haven't finished properly. Yeah. But I thought this 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 is just too good. Yeah. And no one else is going to do it. So you gotta think about this for a second. It's your family's legacy. Right. Right. I mean that that's got to that has that has to impact you in a major way yeah. emotionally. Yeah. I mean, the pride that you feel how how awesome it was for you to find out the things that you found out in your research yeah i mean i i i'm so happy for you and i'm so proud of you this is such a cool thing i'm so excited so the gambler's game is available in 12 days on amazon and it's and it's going to be an it's audiobook too 
super, super excited for you. Now, let me ask you this. When's the next book? When's the next book? Well, what I want to do, first of all, is do this, see this to the end of its 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 course, which means writing treatments yeah. and getting HBO and Netflix and everyone else involved. Now, I, I please don't wait until the movie comes out. Yeah, because yeah. You, we we know what Hollywood can do to real stories. No kidding. <laughs> no kidding. And the book's always better. The book's <laughs> always better. You ask anybody, right? Yeah. The book is always better. Yeah. So that's the thing, you see, because I mean, I'm I'm giving talks and speeches. I'm giving a speech at, uh, on the uh, what's it, the grit and glamour of gambling in the old west. Yeah. Um, I'm doing things like this, wonderful podcasts. Um, I'm on book panels, and you know, helping other people yeah. um, who are, you know, just struggling to sit down and start. Yeah. And having been through this process now, it doesn't mean I'm supremely qualified. I'm really not. But I can only, I can share my own experience, and that might be helpful to some. Well, your experience inspires people, right? Just like you telling your story today, this is going to inspire and motivate people. There are going to be people that heard your story today around the world. We're in twenty four countries and adding every day, right? There are people worldwide that are going to hear your story on our program, and they're going to be motivated. They're going to be inspired and motivated to go out and, and start that book that they've been putting off. They're going to they're gonna be inspired and motivated to do things that they should have been doing already, but they just came up with excuses. And like you said, you could have put this off for a long, long time. And it's a great thing for you and a great credit to you that you took the step and you went forward and you got this done. I mean, this is just, I'm super proud of you, man. And well, I, I I really appreciate your words. Thank you so much, Mike. I'll tell you one thing that I really like is that I've got a, a little cousin. His name's Ren and he's nine mm -hmm. and he's really interested in this. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know what? His great, 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 great grandchildren could just get the book. Yeah. You know, in hundreds of years, it'll still be around. And I really like that, idea, you know, because I mean, most of us just have a gravestone. But yeah. I, I really like the idea that it's going to be around forever. And thanks cool. to the digital world that we live in now, you know, really easy to get rather than, you know, um, becoming an archaeologist in a library. Yeah, yeah. this will live way beyond you, yeah. way beyond you. Yeah, that's really, really cool. I cannot thank you enough for being here. I cannot thank you enough for being our guest on the Mike Litton Experience. It was great to meet you. I thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you. And I'm super, super proud of you, bud. Oh, thanks, Mike. I, I really appreciate the, the opportunity to be on here. And I really love what you do, sharing people's stories. You know, it's a lot of it's triumph over adversity. Yeah. And it says a lot because we all need that. Yeah. You know, we all need we all need to keep positive and keep showing up and you one, know exploring. One foot in front of the you other. You never like know. You never know what's going to happen today. You yeah. never know. Keep an open mind. Yeah, you got to take that first step, baby. Yeah. Great. Awesome, bud. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. All right, Mike. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Mike Litton Experience. If you did, do us a favor, smash that subscribe button, tell your friends, family, and coworkers about our program, and wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a rating. It helps us to connect with quality people just like you. And that's a wrap. 
another episode of the Mike Litton Experience in the books. Reach out to Mike on Instagram at Litton Realty. Want to meet with Mike? Check out calendly.com slash Rio 760.